welcome to the Revenue Circus podcast, where passion meets performance under the big top of revenue success. Join us as we dive into the thrilling world of sales, customer experience, and all things revenue. It's not just a podcast, it's a circus of insights, tips, and captivating stories straight from the heart of business. Meet our incredible co-hosts, industry experts, and special guests as they engage with individual contributors, unveiling practical tips and tricks. Their goal is to equip listeners with actionable insights, empowering them to enhance their skills and fast-track their career growth. So tighten your seatbelt, grab your popcorn, and join the artist circus. The greatest show in business is about to begin. Subscribe now and roll up the Revenue Circus podcast. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Revenue Circus podcast, the show where you get access to great insights in sales and practical advice from top talents in Europe and today from a top talent in the US. My name is Natalia. I am your host. And let me start with a quick tip from my side. If you work in sales, pre-sales or customer success management, this episode is for you. And if you're curious about the future of B2B sales, well, you might want to listen until the end. Our host today is a fantastic woman, and I'm so excited that we managed to get her in our show. She was not only named top sales influencer by Salesforce and LinkedIn sales insider in 2022 and 2023, but also America's best sales speaker by the Selling Power magazine. And what can I tell you? More than 30 years of experience as a Fortune 500 global sales executive. So with this said, and joining us from Florida, I can only welcome you with a smile, Sherilyn Castleman. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Natalia. I am thrilled to be here. I have been in sales since before Girl Scout cookies were 50 cents a box, and today they are $6 a box. So I always tell people, stop, stop counting. You don't have enough fingers and toes. It's, it's all that I've done. And I, um, I'm on a mission to help 1 million women sit at the table of their dreams. And by the table of their dreams, I mean top of the sales leaderboard, sales leadership, the C-suite, or their entrepreneurial table. And as you, Natalia, as you know, Natalia, so many women, like me early in my career, they lack access, financial fluency, or the executive presence to get there. So I spend my days coaching and training women to be too good to be ignored. And Thank you for helping me amplify my voice and by having me on. Awesome. Thank you. And I think we're going to touch upon that topic as well today. You know, diversity is such a crucial factor for the future of B2B um, sales uh, that we will cover further on in the, in the episode. But maybe for our listeners, uh, would you mind, Geraldine, sharing with us who you are, What are you uh, working at at the moment? And I think about this mission, I think it's just such a fantastic way of also kicking up the episode. So for our listeners, who is Geraldine Castleman? So I have, um, I am, I am a, co a sales trainer and coach, and um, I also write a lot of blogs and articles. So if you want to keep up about what I'm doing, um, please connect with me on LinkedIn. But one of the biggest things that I do is I help sellers close deals faster and close larger deals. 
And one of the best ways to do that is by selling into the C-suite. And so um, that's what I coach and train um, my, my, my audience. Um, if you look at the numbers, 91% of sellers reported missing their quotas in 2023, in December of 2023, um, per quota path. Um, also, Salesforce state of the sales report tells us that 87%, that's almost 90%, 87% of B2B buyers expect sellers to show up as trusted advisors. And additionally, when B2B buyers are on their buying journey, they're only spending about 5% of this time with sellers. So given everything that's been going on with the economic headwinds and the tailwinds from the pandemic, is it any wonder why, if we're still doing things the way we used to do them, that we're missing our sales quotas? Precisely. And I think that's that's quite shocking. And I think as a seller, I can only tell as well. I sense that with my customers that the um, economical situation currently and, you know, also geopolitical situation is influencing their decisions. And I think this brings us to the first topic. Uh, what should be those key points that our listeners should consider when selling to the C-suite? I can tell from also my experience that there's a lot of uh, change, um, let's say, also in the decision-making process. But at the end of the day, and you know, whether you have been selling for the last 10 or 20 years, we are still people selling to people. So what are those key takeaways that, that you would consider relevant for selling to the C-suite? So I think the first thing that you want to remember is every company wants you to solve their problem. And so you have to approach it as, what is the problem and how do I solve it? And so you want to start by being able to answer three simple questions. Why me? Why Natalia? Mm -hmm. Why now? And why my product? And I mean, very simply, in very lay, simple layman's terms, think about that. What sets you apart? What are your superpowers? Why would an executive want to talk to you? Why your product? And why now? It is 2024. Think about why your product is so important to solve their problem today. So that's number one. Number two, sale executives in the C-suite care about three things. They care about more money, less expenditures, or greater ROI. So you have to ultimately solve that problem. So when you talk about your why, your why is not just about your features and benefits. It's about why you can drive more revenue, why you can decrease expenditures and improve efficiency, or why you can improve ROI on something they're already spending. So again, what is your value? What differentiates you from anybody else? What makes you unique is number one. Number two, connection. So many times I talk to people and they'll say, oh, you know, I'm not good enough to talk to somebody in the C-suite. I can't write. People, they're just people. They're just like you and I. And I encourage people to remember that just because somebody has a chief in front of their name, CEO, CFO, chief marketing officer, chief technology officer, they are still somebody's mother, father, brother, sister, <laughs> daughter, son. That's true. And so they're just like us. And so Definitely. approach them that way, connect with them. And so often, I, and I, I check out people, they change their voice when they're talking to somebody in the C-suite and they want to use mm -hmm. words. No, these people are just like you. They want their problem solved. They're people. So treat them like people, connect with them. 
My favorite one is, is, here's a takeaway for people. When you do a discovery interview, use the four Fs. And the four Fs that I recommend are first, finest, failure, future. Because you want to talk to people about their experiences. Everybody has a first experience. Ask them, what was it like their first day on the job? What was it like the first day in 2024? Everybody has a first. Ask them about the first. What was it like the first time they had to put together a, a, a technology strategy? Whatever you're pitching them about, ask them about the first. The second one is finest. Everyone has something that they're proud of and that they're doing well. So ask them, what is your finest? What is your team doing well? What are you getting right? And all of us could do something better. So ask about the failure, but position it as a positive. And say, Natalia, in your role, what is your team could do better? What is it one thing you wish you could do better? And the final F is future. If you ask people in the C-suite, what is their vision? What, when it comes to this problem, if you got it right, what would it look like a year from now? If you ask those questions, they are ready now to solution with you. It's all about active listening. And before we go to the final third tip, I can only tell you that I have been myself in meetings where, you know, just as an observator, um, seeing colleagues who probably might fall in love so much with their solution, so much with their product, but kind of miss this opportunity to build a bridge with those drivers that care, for example, that a CFO is focusing on. Maybe you have the most amazing product and could solve all the IT problems of the company. But if you don't, if you fail to connect it with the drivers that a CFO is looking at or a CTO is looking at, you know, or a CISO as well, then I think this is the point where, you know, you might lose a, a really good opportunity just because of this lack of listening. So I, I can only, you know, just sign on that on those two points. It is just so crucial to also have empathy also when selling. And, 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 and empathetic listening is being present. And so I, I, I talk about three levels of listening. And the first one I call restaurant listening. You go into a restaurant and they say, Natalia, do you want steak or, or salmon? And you go, eh, I promise I was going to eat more fish. It's a new year. But you're not listening. You're talking and you're listening to yourself. You're talking to yourself. And so many salespeople, we do that. Clients start talking and we're solutioning. Oh, I'm going to sell them this. I'm going to sell them this. That's level one listening. Level two listening is what I learned as a salesperson. And this is where you're, you're nodding and you're saying, oh, I hear you. And you're doing reflective listening. But level three listening is listening between the words. What are the emotions? What are the themes? What are the values? What are they not saying? That's empathetic listening. And the best way to do that is to take a box breath. And so I encourage sellers, when a client starts talking, take four breaths in, hold it at the top blow it out, hold it at the bottom. It takes 16 seconds. It will quiet your brain, lower your blood pressure, and slow your heart so that that chatter stops and you can truly be present and listen between the words. That's what empathetic listening is. My final tip is develop a POV, a point of, a, a point of view. And what I mean by that is if you want to position yourself as a trusted advisor, you have to come with an opinion. So once you have built their trust and connected with them, step two is to position yourself as an advisor. And how you position yourself as a trusted advisor is by triangulating the information from your discovery interview. That's number one. Number two is immerse yourself in your client's world. Know everything you can about that company. And the 
and the big bets that the company is betting on, and number three, the industry. And so if you bring the three of those together, you can come up with a point of view. And then you just say, hey, Natalia, I have an idea I want to run by you. You don't have to be correct. They're just mm-hmm. going to value that you show up with an opinion. So once you do the discovery interview, and if you've done your homework and you know about the industry and you know about the company, you should be able to very quickly come up with an opinion. I and think that is, is. Mm-hmm. definitely, that is one of my, I would say my, my secrets in my, in my sales skills, you know, box, knowing your customer. Many times we go into meetings or we go into, as you say, discovery calls without really having an arsenal of probably facts or information about who we're going to meet. And I can tell that that has been probably a, a good successful strategy to get to know better a customer and also to connect the dots as well, right? If you say, for example, um, there is this blocker in terms of pricing or this blocker in terms of, you know, too big, too small, depending on your solution. If you manage to get also a better overview of the industry your customer is moving in or, you know, the economical uh, cycles they're going through, I think this can give more insight for you to be understanding their their context. So, I think that that one could be a, a fourth one and it's just a matter of, of empathetic listening. So is there another point that listeners should be considering when selling to the C-suite? I mean, as you, as you said, they are people at the end of the day and I think that's what they value, right? Earning trust, building relationships. Yeah. So one final thing to kind of expand on immersing yourself in your client's world is I also challenge sellers to do both a quantitative and a qualitative analysis. If you're going to sell into the C-suite, you have to know the numbers. And sometimes that can be intimidating if you're, if you're, if you're looking, um, and, and, I, and I have a list, um, but in the United States, I encourage people to read their 10K, the, the financial documents that they have to file with the U.S. government, with the Security mm. Exchange Commission. And, and so I call it the most important document that most salespeople never read because it's about 200 pages long, but I have some tips on how you can read it fairly quickly. But the most important thing is the numbers are, there are lots of places you can read analyst reports, but um, find numbers that are important to your client. So do both a qualitative and a quantitative analysis. And one final tip is I always tell people, take your digits out three points. Don't ever say around a hundred million dollars. Say one hundred and two million, or say uh, nine nine ninety seven point six million. Mm-hmm. You get better credibility if you say oh about fifty percent. They're not going to believe you. Say so it's better to say forty nine point seven percent. It's like ballparking everything. <laughs> yeah. So don't. Yeah. So if you're going to do your homework and you have the numbers. Don't ballpark them. Take those yeah. digits out. Th- take the get. You'll give exact numbers, or at least take them out three digits. You'll get credibility. So do both a qualitative and a quantitative um, immersion in your client's world, and use those numbers so that you build credibility. So that to just to kind of summarize, connect with people. Remember, they're people just like you and I. Immerse yourself in their world. Listen empathetically and then develop a point of view to triangulate the great job you did by asking questions and listening between the words and immerging yourself in their world. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, selling into the C-suite, you will accelerate your deals. Your deals will be larger because you're going to preempt the competitors. You're going to move up 
the chain of command, you can, you can, you might pitch something to a director or a VP and they'll be like, no, nah, I don't think so. You pitch it to the C-suite and they're just going to push it down and tell them to do it. So pitch as high as you can up the chain of command, sell into the C-suite. You're going to, it's going to be easier. You're going to have a better time. And remember they're people just like you and I. Exactly. And I think more than the selling process, because I can tell already, we, we published um, another episode from the from this podcast, which was joining the dark side. And it was telling the story of one of our co-hosts as well. Uh, and her guest joined from a pre-sales um, role into a sales role. And I, I, I found it super hilarious that he was joining the dark side because sometimes the sales profession doesn't have a good reputation. But I, I just had to think when you were mentioning, if you place a solution or a project, an idea at sea level, this can have major impact. This is also how we drive innovation, right? I mean, you might get uh, some of your audience delight, but if they are just, let's say, on an operative level, it's just so much you can do, you know, at, at, right. at this level and at this level of investment as well. But I can see it on a day-to-day -day basis that when companies have really great products, great solutions, and now with AI, this is the way to go. To tell C-level and management How are they going to develop their future strategy? What might they be missing if they don't act now? And what is the cost of that? I think the cost behind is always great to highlight it. Awesome. So we just covered the first part of this uh, future of B2B sales, which I love the title, by the way. And I wanted to dive maybe into a topic that for our listeners might be not so obvious. You know, in the Revenue Circle podcast, we not only talk about Uh, optimization and money and euros, but we also talk about real impact. And this is about diversity. So is there a reason why we decided to include, include diversity into the future of B2B sales? Why do, why do I have to care about diversity in 2024? Well, um, again, if you're missing your quota, you want to step back and see what do I need to do differently? And, um, I collaborated with LinkedIn and they commissioned a study with Forrester and Forrester um, just came up with a report and the name of the report is that diversity drives sales. And basically what the report discovered is that um, teams with robust DE&I sales practices, teams that have less homogenous sales teams, see a 20% average greater lead to conversion opportunity. Um, they have 9% better revenue growth. So if you have um, a diverse sales team, I want you to imagine that your sales team improved 9% better. Do you know how powerful that is? And then finally, your customer satisfaction ratings are higher by 7%. So you have happy customers, your sales teams are hitting their revenue goals, And your your lead to con um, opportunity conversion is over a quarter percent better than not. And so the report says the more women, underrepresented minorities that you have on your team, the more diverse your team is because our buyers are more diverse. Business leaders are more diverse. And so if that's the case, then your sales team has to be more diverse. And It's another way. So selling into the C-suite and having diversity on your sales team is, are, are two strong ways for your team to hit their quotas. 
Definitely. So I guess this also aligns with the mission that you were telling us at the beginning of the episode, because I can also tell, I have even friends who work in other industries who sometimes as a seller, they ask me, isn't it too challenging, you know, to be carrying quota, to be responsible for just so many metrics that are so, um, let's say, pressure putting, but at the same time, it's just so exciting. And I was telling um, the, the co-host of the, of the episode that it is not the dark side, you know, working in sales, I have to say, is the fun, creative side, because something that gives me energy, at least, is to be close to my customer. You know, they are the ones out there in the field who are, you know, inventing their solutions and let's say creating value for the economy. And we are just enablers as well of whatever they do. So that's really what gives me energy to solve their problems, as you mentioned also in the first part. And secondly, to yeah figure out how we can create um, and innovate in their industry as well. So for all the listeners who have ever considered a career in sales, I can only tell you, you know, whether you are uh, from a um, underrepresented demographic as well. I think we all have opportunities here. And at the end of the day, we all benefit with more diversity in our teams. As a short story, um, I am also the, the lead of our women at Microsoft ERG, along with a colleague of mine. We are leading this, this team, this group here in uh, Microsoft Austria. And I can tell you that we have a lot of employees who were super motivated to join this kind of employee resource groups. So this is also a fantastic way to drive diversity into a company where you are an individual contributor. But can you think of any other ways that, for example, yes, an individual contributor in sales or even a yeah, manager could uh, consider to drive diversity? Oh. Absolutely. So I love, so first of all, congratulations on leading your ERG. That is just Thank you. so phenomenal. I'm so proud of you. I was thrilled when I, when I saw that. And so here are, so here are three just very simple tips and things that you can do. So first of all, I challenge people and, and, and you'll, and you'll hear me use the word challenge. And I use that word because one of my mentors told me years ago, Bill Green, the former CEO of Accenture, um, who was mentoring me said, Sherilyn, when you criticize people, you raise their defensiveness. But if you challenge people, you raise their game. And I'm about raising games. I'm getting, I want everybody to get better. And so I'm going to keep challenging your listeners. And so one of my challenges is for you to connect, and I mean generally connect with one person on LinkedIn who you might have an unconscious bias toward. Now, and whenever I say this, people say, oh, not me, not me. I don't have this. But we all have this. <laughs> I want you to think about one group of people that make you uncomfortable. It might be someone that, you know, as a child, when you were sitting around the dinner table, your family talked about somebody you should be afraid of or cautioned you about groups. Or maybe there's a group of people that you just haven't been around or you don't know well. I remember I was giving a, a presentation and I was training a whole group of all white male sales leaders. And one of them came up to me and said, Sherilyn, I immediately said, not me, not me. And then he was like, oh my goodness. He said, I'm, I'm afraid of blind people. He said, I've always been, it was oh, wow. something, you know, and he was like, and he was like, and I got goosebumps. And he said, I need to go find a blind person and connect with them on LinkedIn. And I said, yes, you do. I said, good for you. And so there is somebody that we all have the group. You don't have to admit it out loud. My goal is not to embarrass you, but just connect with them. And when I mean connect with them, the easiest way is just read their posts, um, connect with them, share their posts. But if you really want to step outside your comfort zone, do an information interview with them, a virtual coffee chat, and just 
get to get to know their experiences. And you can use the, the discovery interview I just talked about. Use the 4S. Talk to them about their first successes. Talk to them about their proudest achievements, a significant mm-hmm. failure, and their future aspirations. Um, so that's the first, you know, one is connect with somebody. And the reason why I challenge people to do that is because when you hear about roles or positions or you are hiring, the first thing you go to is your network. And so often our network looks just like us. And if you don't know women or women of color, then connect with Natalia, connect with me on LinkedIn, and then go to our second connections and you'll find them there. Okay. (laughs) Um, I have 12,000 followers and the majority of them are people of color or people in sales. So connect with me and leverage my network. I, 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 I volunteer that. The next one is see people. And I always tell people the very best way you can see somebody is to pronounce their name correctly. So important. I have so many friends. Uh, there is a woman, and and I, there's, if you look on LinkedIn, there's so many women in sales who have initials by their names because I have had so many sales managers say, can I just call you CC? I, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> that says to you, that says, I don't see you, I don't value you, but they don't do it to guys. And so we have to say, no, pronounce my name. And so learn to pronounce people's names and, and pronounce it correctly. You know, Natalia asked me three times, how do you say Cheryl Lynn? Because she saw me and she wanted to pronounce my name. And I appreciate that, Natalia. You're welcome. Uh, and so um, next one is acknowledge them. And I call this humble bragging. Um, give people credit. Tag them. Um, tell, you know, you know, we closed this big deal and I couldn't done it without my solution engineer, or we, we did this and we couldn't have done it without the marketing person and this person in marketing, call people out by name, give them credit, acknowledge the hard work, talk about the months, the days, the years people have put in to make something happen. Um, talk about vulnerability. I will say, you know, there's a, there was an SDR that I was coaching. She was so afraid of LinkedIn. And so I wrote a post about how not only did she master LinkedIn, she went on to train her entire company on how to use LinkedIn. Because I talk about her vulnerability and her fear of LinkedIn. Um, So talk about somebody's vulnerability. Talk about somebody's mission. I love it when people have me on like you and they say, Sherilyn has a mission to reach a million people. That means you see me. So talk to people about their duty, their mission, And finally, just say thank you Um, publicly. You have Mm -hmm. an internal chat board. Say thank you to people. And and again, spell their name correctly. I have a client whose manager's colleague thanked her for working on a special project, and she misspelled her name in the the chat. And so she just sent her a direct message and said, hey, you misspelled my name. Here's a correct. And the person said, oh, it doesn't matter. And so she came to coaching and she was so upset and she goes, but it does matter. And I said, it does. And you have a right to explain to this person why it does matter. And, and, and it just, and, and, and it was just like, I was horrified. How can you tell somebody, I see you, I want to recognize you, but I didn't go far enough to spell your name correctly. Yes. And it does, it does matter. It it does matter a lot. And I think also we have to handle these kind of topics with a growth mindset. I can tell you when leading with my colleague Andrade, the uh, women at Microsoft ERG, and even before my time at Microsoft, 
I was always confronted with a little bit of an attitude, let's say, from other uh, groups that were n not the ones that are um, unrepresented. So with this fear of, I need to get this right. And the reason why I don't work so much with these minorities is because I don't want to get it wrong. So that's why I just completely withdraw myself from working with diverse teams, which is a little bit contradictory if you think about it. Right. Because I think at the end of the day, and in your example, if someone got, let's say, my name incorrectly, I would just expect them probably they can make mistakes, but I think it's just acknowledgement and also this growth mindset of, you know, I might not have all the answers when it comes to diversity and how can I make this workplace more inclusive, but I'm trying. And that's my goal, uh, you know, as a leader, as an individual contributor, even with the people that you have to do every single day. I think that's the mindset to have when it comes to diversity versus I can't say anything because every, everybody gets offended, which I think is a little bit taking the easy way out. It is, and 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 it's and it's and it, and it um, pushing the responsibility somewhere else. And so I tell people, you're going to get it wrong. It is new. Just apologize. Just say, hey, I'm sorry. Let me correct it. That manager could have just corrected that, gone in and corrected it, or said, hey, I misspelled her name. Here's here it is correctly. I know how important it is to spell someone's name correctly. Um, and so you're going to make mistakes, especially if this is new for you. Just apologize with sincerity and move on and get it right. One final thing that I want to challenge your audience to do is to pull up a tape, the chair to a table for somebody who doesn't look like you. And it's really easy to do. And here's what, here's what I want you to do. So I had um, a, a president for an organization that I worked for once that I went in because I converted a $600,000 cost center to a multi-million dollar profit center. And so the president wanted me to come in and he wanted to know about what I had done and, you know, kind of give me a pat on the back. And he said, how can I help you? And I said, yeah, I struggle with financial fluency and I really don't understand how to manage my finances. And I thought he was going to say, we're going to sign you up or go take a, you know, a finance, a business finance class, or uh, we'll pay, you know, the company will pay for you to go back to school and take a course. No. He said, I sit on the board for the United Way, um, which is a huge um, nonprofit organization in the United States. Um, and he said, I'm on the finance committee and I want you to go sit in my chair for um, three months. And I'm telling you, I started hyperventilating. OK, I went home. <laughs> I was crying. I was like. I couldn't manage a $3 million budget. They were allocating over $35 million at the time. And they wanted me to do that. And I remember the first meeting I went to, I didn't understand half the words they were using. And so I was just, I just wrote down the words and I went back and I got books and I read and I got, and I did. And at the end of the 90 days, I was financially fluent. Yes. But what he did for me, Natalia, was he pulled up a chair at a table that I wasn't used to sitting at, a board chair at a table at a, in a finance committee. Now, you don't have to go so far, but any table that you sit at, pull up somebody who may not have an opportunity. Take somebody to a, a client meeting who maybe is, maybe you have an SDR who's never been to a client meeting. Take them with you. Maybe you're going to a leadership meeting and you just invite somebody to come and sit and listen. And that is an easy way to ex to bring diversity into the world, bring diversity to the table, um, and you will make such a big difference in somebody's life. You may never know the impact you make. And, yes. and that's why I talk about financial fluency today, because that person 
pulled up a table, a finance table for me, and I understood how important it was for me to learn about financial fluency. And they made a long-lasting difference, definitely. And also, um, even if you don't get a chance to go, you know, for example, if you're an SDR, to go to those meetings, even also ask for them, right? Sometimes wow, there is this uh, mindset, and I and I have to say here, I have also learned that along my my career, that sometimes you think in a way that where the world should be aligned to that what you want, and that they're going to fold those opportunities in in that way. But there's something about asking that gets you closer, faster and more effectively than just waiting for things to happen. And before that, we, you talk about LinkedIn again. And just because it's our last uh, topic, automation, I have to say that during the last year when, for example, Microsoft announced the M365 Copilot and many companies were also focusing on AI, Uh, a lot of influencers on on LinkedIn, they were sharing their stories of how they think that um, AI might take some jobs and some of them could also even be sales, which I find kind of interesting because I feel more excited and, and truly honest. I, I, I love the fact that there, there's going to be a co-pilot or a helper next to me when it comes to clerical and administrative tasks. But I do understand where is this fear or this anxiety when it comes to taking over jobs that maybe uh, can be, yeah, they can, they have to do with automation. So how do you see this, because this episode is about the future of B2B sales. How do you see this uh, automation part happening in the typical sales role? And what are those key takeaways that you would say the audience should know when it comes to using it for, for the better and not feeling threatened by AI? <laughs> So the first thing I tell people is um, the best way not to be threatened is to get on the train. And so if you are not, if you don't have your AI sitting next to you all day, all day and using it, then that's my first challenge. I, mm. I talk to salespeople who say, yeah, my company launched an AI tool, but I just don't feel comfortable. Um, and I will tell you that I was a BlackBerry user. I could, I, I, <laughs> with my one thumb, With my BlackBerry in my lap, I was, I, you talk about CrackBerry, I was one of those people. I was the last person, I think, in the world to get rid of their BlackBerry. It fell in some water, and I called BlackBerry, and I was like, can you send me another BlackBerry? And they go, we're not in business. We don't we don't have BlackBerries. We're just here to support. And I was like, like what am I supposed to do? So if <laughs> I, and my daughter still call me, I challenged. I was the last person in the world to get an iPhone, I'm going to tell you. My daughters today still call me iChallenge. If I can learn <laughs> chat GPT and I use it all day, every day, you can too. So that's my first challenge is mm. use it, get comfortable using it and know that it is, it's like when the internet started, it is going to be part of our lives. Yes, there are going to be jobs that are going to, there's going to be jobs that are more going to be more efficient, but there's going to be mm. so many more jobs there. They need people to program AI. I, I laugh and I, I'm writing a blog about this. I asked the AI um, image generator to generate mm -hmm. an image for a blog post I wrote. And all, every, all the women had hair down to their back, had high heels on and were thin had, um, and were very curvy. Okay. A hundred percent of the women in the meeting. And so I said, make the women more diverse, make it more casual. Uh, and diversity was racial. Um, age, gender, what they did, they made a couple of the women long gray haired. Um, and that was it. 
And, 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 and I was like, no, make them more diverse. And then it gave one woman an Afro and they all still look the same. And I was like, that's because interesting program by probably a white male. So mm. there's going to be more opportunities in AI for people of color. So that's, and, and, and women. So that's the first, mm-hmm. there's going to be so many more jobs and opportunities. Uh, second, use it, embrace it. Know that people are always going to want to have relationship with people. And just like we want to make connections, people want to make authentic connections. That's never going to change. So although an AI chat may um, become part of the sales funnel, and I see that. Mm-hmm. I see that blogs and research and uh, reading posts on LinkedIn will be the top of the funnel. And the middle of the funnel will be AI chats and chat bots and people will do the research. And and that's this is part of that tailwind from the pandemic. Um, people are used to doing their own research, but when they get ready to buy, they want to talk to a person. They want to connect with a person. And a, you know, generative um, AI helps you connect people. It will help you immerse yourself in the world. It will help you. I've written um, a couple chat um, templates, um, prompts on that POV that I talked about, mm-hmm. you put in the res- the responses to the discovery interview, plus what you know about the company, plus what you know um, about um, the industry, and you want to triangulate that into a, a, a POV, ask, ask the, uh, the AI to do it for you. Okay. In the most articulated way, I can imagine that later yes. on, it just simplifies your time as well. It does. And so I just say, uh, come up with a POV. Here's what I know. Here's what I know with the person I'm meeting with. Here's what I know about their industry. Here's what I know about the company. And here's what they said in their discovery interview. There's your POV. You then take that, you email it to them, you message it to them on LinkedIn, or you just start with your, your conversation with them. They're going to listen to you. And so it makes you better. It makes your connection better. Uh, it makes sales better. And yes, it's going to become part of the sales process. Everybody is going to engage with AI before they get to the salesperson, but they're still going to want to get to the salesperson. Sure. And I think we can we can close uh, by saying that, you know, this is already a revolution that started way before uh, last year. So this is not something that should be coming new to, to many of our listeners. Uh, the only message, message that I think should be summarized here is that even when uh, it was the digital boom as well in the 2000s, we can all say that digital first is no longer digital first, but now is AI first, first of right. all. And secondly, as a seller, I cannot tell you that I would be so you know excited or I will formulate it in a business case when I can look at the amount of time that I spend on clerical and administrative tasks versus being more effective and being in front of my customer and visiting them. So I think that's the motivation that I have as well to leverage AI on my day-to-day uh, as a seller. And that's to be the invitation for, for everyone to yeah, find their way to incorporate um, yeah, large language models and AI into their day-to-day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. And, and I have one, just one final challenge for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, I listen to podcasts, I read a book a week, and there's one thing that I always tell people, and that is find one thing that you're going to do differently. One thing that you, that resonated out of here that you're going to do starting tomorrow. We're busy, but if we just keep doing what we've always done, you know this, everybody knows this, we're going to keep getting what we've always gotten. 
So if you really want to hit your goals, if you really want to be the future of B2B sales, you have to have a growth mindset, which means you have to keep improving. So when you listen to a podcast or you read a book or you listen to an audio book, make a commitment that you're going to implement one thing that you learn immediately. And so my challenge for you is what is one thing that you discovered today that you're going to implement immediately starting tomorrow? I love that challenge. And I think I can complement it with another one on top of that, which is how you're going to decide to try those new things, which is making decisions less out of fear, but more about, you know, love for what you can get at the end of the day, right? I think sometimes we really hold back and not make decisions or even, you know, hold ourselves from trying new things just because of fear of many things, right? Fear has so many colors. So I would close the episode with uh, that invitation. So from Cherilyn's side to try something new, even if you got it from this podcast as well and the future of B2B, there's a lot of things you can do, diversity, automation, and also talking to the C-suite. I think there were so many great golden nuggets and pieces of advice. And the second part is, I can tell you, this is the first uh, podcast episode I'm hosting this year. And I can tell you who would have thought, right, that a couple of months we were uh, sitting as well thinking, we need a podcast for ourselves. And now I got you as well as my guest in in this podcast episode. So with that, uh, thank you so much, Erlene, for uh, joining us today. I think that was such a productive uh, session. And I hope to maybe have you in another episode as well. Absolutely. We can, we can see. And uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and get ready for more episodes of the Revenue Circus podcast. Thank you, Natalia. Thank you. Big thanks for tuning in to another fantastic episode of the Revenue Circus podcast. Your support truly means the world to us. So if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to hit that share button and subscribe for our upcoming episodes. And for those eager to meet our credible co-hosts in person and craving for more opportunities to level up their career, be sure to grab your ticket to the Artist Circus the ultimate event for tech sales, customer support, and pre-sales talents. It's where knowledge meets connection and professionals gather to learn, grow their network, and simply have a blast. So what are you waiting for? Join us on the 19th of April in Berlin.